God is good. Wow, a little loud. Right on. Good morning, good morning, good morning. And for those of you who are in mourning from last Sunday, oh, you know, uh, I get to talk about the Super Bowl one last time until next year. Until next year. What a game. What a game. And uh, I'm not even a big football fan. Uh, you know, my, my family could attest to this. I'm not a sports, ca- sports guy. I'm a car guy. Like, cars are my thing. Technology is my thing. But, but football somehow has kind of weaved its way in. And, um, wow, what a game. Um, I was actually quite, quite surprised how bummed I was. And I'm not even a Seahawks fan. For those of you who are... Uh, what was the other team that, that played? Oh, yeah, that's right, the Patriots. Patriots fans, way to go. I'm not even a Seahawks fan. My my team is the Giants, but I was really surprised how bummed I was. And I think not just because they lost, but how they lost. Uh, you know, I saw a great uh, a picture on Facebook of Pete Carroll at Starbucks. He was, like, serving coffee to someone, handing it out the window, and the, and the little meme or little caption said, should I pass this to you or, or step back five feet and throw it at you? And I was like, and for those, those of you who are not even tracking with that, I'm sorry, but I thought it was pretty clever. <clears throat> I was bummed. But let me tell you something. I had to I had to keep reminding myself that it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. Okay, well maybe not that much, but it, it it doesn't matter. It's it's a game and guess what? Next year there'll be another Super Bowl. And the year after that and the year after that and there's been a whole bunch that have come up before. I know all the football crazy fans right now are going, "You're kidding me? You're actually saying it doesn't matter?" But in all truth, in all truth, it doesn't matter. And it's amazing how we can get so attached to things and get so emotionally charged and so wound up by things that in the big scheme of things don't matter. That they're not, they're not that important. Could we agree this morning that there are many areas, there are many things that, that God would say are a priority that are not a priority for us? That there are things that are so different, his priorities are so different to what ours would be. Would you agree with that this morning? Like there's things that we put at the top of our list sometimes, and God's going, that doesn't really even factor. God is not a Patriots fan. God's not a Seahawks fan either. He's not, because I'm sure he enjoys that we enjoy football, but those are not kingdom priority things. They're not kingdom priority things. Uh, a couple of years ago, we were at a, our Foursquare District uh, summer camp, and it was really cool. They had a, a camp that was really themed about finding your purpose in life. And, and, and we had realized as a district team, and we're planning camps, that a lot of our focus was towards directing kids towards pastoral or, or, or full-time ministry or, or the mission field, which means that everyone who's not called to those two particular things is coming to camp hearing a message that basically said, if you're not called to one of these two things, you don't count, which is, an, which is absolutely not true. And it really wasn't the heart of the, the planning team. And so we thought, let's do a camp um, where we get to unpack a little bit for kids the fact that, you can, that, that we're all called to ministry. It doesn't matter what our job is. 
that our work finds its meaning in the midst of the call on our lives. And so one of, we had a bunch of different people come up. We had people in the movie industry come up and do breakout sessions. We had people who were photographers that came out and did breakout sessions. But one of the guys that got to come up to camp was a, a gentleman named Clint, Clint Gresham. And if you're a Seahawks fan, you'll know that Clint is the long snapper for the Seahawks. Not only is Clint a long snapper and a Seahawks uh, player, but he's also an incredibly nice guy, and more importantly, that he's a believer. And we got to sit and, and, and hang out with him and have lunch with him and hear him speak. And, and it was just, I was so blown away by this young man and, and the priorities in his life. He lives on Mercer Island in Seattle, just, just outside Seattle, has a huge home, single guy. In fact, I think he's getting married just here in a couple of months. But uh, at that point, single guy, he rents, he, I mean, he, he owns this huge home, huge, huge home, and he lives with, uh, I think, five or six young life leaders, they, or rather, they live with him. And he has opened up this massive home that he owns to youth, to young people to come and hang out and hear about the Lord. And here's a guy who's successful in his sport and his career, and, and he's using the resources that God has blessed him with to further the kingdom. He has a blog that he, he was writing and talking about how much he loves the Lord. There's other Christian players on, on various sports teams, not just the Seahawks. Other teams all over the nation love hearing about these athletes or these, these uh, uh, men and women who are, are famous for one, one reason or another who love Jesus and aren't afraid to actually stand up and use what the gifts that God has given because they recognize that there's a different priority. That God's priorities are not the same as most people's. We have goals for our lives. We have plans for our lives, for our families, and for our businesses. And it's all good. It's all good. But here's the thing. We have to remember that they have to align with God's priorities. I want to start a series this morning called The Kingdom Way. We're going to go for the next four weeks and have a conversation about the kingdom of God. Now, I'm all, I'm, I'm all blown away by the fact that we're already into our second series. Is time flying? I, I, it's, it's amazing. It's been four weeks uh, since Megan and I and our family got to become a new community, part of New Community Church. And, uh, and again, thank you. I can't say this enough. Thank you. For, for making us so, feel so loved and welcomed. And uh, it's, it's hard to, to imagine that there was a time that we weren't here. It's been such a quick... Uh, I'll use a, an, an analogy. Uh, Toy Story, any Toy Story fans, right? You remember the scene where, where you know, Woody has his... You know, Andy's written his name on his foot, and then Buzz comes along, and, and Andy right And it's like, it's the mark of, like, belonging is that you have... Andy's name on your foot. Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about right now. It's a great movie. You got to check it out. But that's, in a sense, that, that same feeling. Like, you feel like we've just been welcomed. No one's written their name on my foot. But, um, but we just feel loved and welcomed. So thank you. Thank you. But we are going to jump into a new series. And it's not just a new series. We're, this is actually going to set our course uh, for a good portion of the rest of this year. And so this morning's message is one that, that well, I'm just going to ask that you just really open your heart to receive. I'm going to say a lot of words, but I'm going to ask that you hear from the Holy Spirit this morning. And, and 
don't let me be a distraction. Don't let the things I'm saying or what, don't let those things even be a distraction. I'm going to ask that you really hear from the Holy Spirit this morning because I believe that God is setting us on a course this morning as a church um, in, in, in a growth trajectory that is going to have kingdom impact. And so I just feel like, Lord, let's, let's just go to prayer. Father God, we come to you this morning. Lord, I thank you for this church. Lord, I thank you for the things that you're doing in this place, for the, the impact that you're having in lives and in this community. Lord Jesus, your disciples, you taught them to pray, and you said that we should pray this way, your kingdom come and your will be done. And Lord, we recognize that we have plans, we have things that we have, have set in place and, and ideas about how things should go, but Lord, at the end of the day, we want what you want. We want your kingdom here. We want your presence. We want your power. So, Lord, I pray that you would move in power this morning, that your word would speak, and, Lord, that you would bring about transformation. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to open your Bibles to two places. If you have, like, the little ribbon, you can kind of put, put the ribbon in Romans chapter 8 or a little piece of paper or something. And then in Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to start. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25, Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Anyone have that struggle ever? Oh, wow. You know you're in church, right? You're not allowed to lie. Anyone ever have that problem, worrying about your life? Do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, uh, sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are not you more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by warring, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and is thrown in the fire tomorrow, or or tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. God's priorities are not the same as ours. That there are things that we are supposed to go chase after and, 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 and pursue in our lives, and it's not the things that we immediately think of. It's, it should be the things that God is saying, seek my kingdom, seek my purposes, seek my righteousness, seek what I have for you. And then all of these things that, that God actually does care about, he'll give you those things as well. And I tell you right now, it's, it's a hard thing to wrap our heads around because kind of our, 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 our default setting is to take control of our own lives and try and make things work. 
trying to figure things out. Trying to look at, look at our situation and the opportunities and what's in front of us and the challenges and, 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 and establish a game plan and go, okay, this is how we're going to approach it and this is how it's going to go. And these, these are the things. And we, we set one-year plans and five-year plans and ten-year plans. And, and, and that's all well and good. But if God's kingdom is not a priority, then we're in trouble. Even talking about in the last couple of weeks our testimony and the story of our lives and that the fact that our story isn't about us, it's about Jesus. It's about who he is, not about who I am. It's about what he's accomplished in my life, not what I've done in my own strength. Not just for my own benefit, but for the world around me. Because when the world sees the testimony of my life and they see Jesus in that, that will bring about transformation. And so Jesus, it's amazing that here in Matthew chapter 6, the, the, the audience he's speaking to dealt with and struggled with the same things we do. They had the same issues. Where am I going to get my next, my next paycheck? Where's the food going to come from? How am I going to be clothed? What about my family? What about these things? And they, and they start eating us and eating us. And it's not that we shouldn't care about those things. But so often the priority for us becomes that over God's kingdom. And there are principles about God's kingdom that we cannot ignore as believers, as the church. There are things that God has set in motion that, and, and, and in place that we can't just say, well, that's good for someone else. That we have to come to the word and go, okay, Lord, examine me with your word and show me where those places are in my life where I'm not living kingdom-minded, where I'm not living in alignment with who you are. I heard a story just a couple of weeks about two guys named Mark, Mark Burnett and a guy named Mark Green. You might remember, recognize the name Mark Burnett. You ever heard of the guy? Survivor, right? Guy who came up with a, the Survivor. He's kind of the, the father of reality TV. And I think Survivor's like, what, in its 45th season? or No, it's not that long. But it just keeps going and going and going. Um, this guy, Mark Burnett, grew up in England. He was, uh, joined the military when he was young, was a paratrooper with the British Army, uh, and then ended up moving to L.A., actually wanted to get into... Uh, into the entertainment industry, but ended up actually as a nanny, working as a nanny for a wealthy family in L.A. So imagine, British guy, paratrooper, nanny. All right? Um, that's that, that, probably not what he had in mind. But Mark, Mark actually learned a lot from the guy he was working for. And actually, it was just a, a good business mind. And he started... Uh, finding different ways to make money and and uh, started uh, gathering some wealth just just through little ventures that he started out in ended up connecting with a friend of his who had this idea of doing a, some kind of survival show and and what ended up becoming survivor didn 't the idea didn 't start exactly that way, but Mark heard his friend talking about it, actually bought the rights for the idea took those rights, pitched the idea of Survivor, and, and, the, and the show was born. He ended up, he's, he's done a whole bunch of other shows, uh, Shark Tank, just a whole bunch of, survive, uh, I mean, of uh, reality shows that he's done, and he's hugely successful and has made a lot of money. 
Well, in the midst of that, he meets a, a woman named Roma Downing. And they fall in love, they get married, but she's a believer. He had grown up in a, in a, in a Christian home, but nominal Christians at best, didn't, didn't really follow the Lord, was, kind of went to church a couple times a year. Um, but after meeting Roma, the Lord really ignited his relationship uh, with Jesus, and, and Mark's life was transformed. And he found himself in a place where he now had a passion for God and for his kingdom, but he also had a lot of notoriety and a lot of money. And so he started asking the question, what can I do with the resources I have to be a blessing for the kingdom? And so he started producing, they did the Bible series on the History Channel, which, by the way, around the world has been so huge. I know it had an impact here, but globally that, that series is being played over and over and over and over. He, he produced the Son of God movie. He says that every time they get invited to speak somewhere, no matter what he's invited to speak about, he always talks about Jesus because he can. Because Mark Burnett now has, he's so famous and he's so well-known that people will say, hey, come, we want you to come speak at this conference. And, and, and he's like, well, I'm going to speak about Jesus, even if it's not a, a Christian conference or even the right setting. He goes, I don't care. God's given me a place and he's given me a platform to speak about his kingdom. And so I'm going to keep working, keep making money, because I want to keep sowing into the kingdom of God. The other Mark is a guy named Mark Green. You might not recognize him, as, his name as readily, but uh, you, you will recognize the name of the company that I believe his father had started. It's a company called Hobby Lobby. And, and a lot of you are like, oh, yes. I, I, I think Hobby Lobby is really cool. Um, Christian-owned company that has grown really fast, spread all over the nation. Christian family. Part of their purpose as, as a company is to, to make more money, not just so they can be wealthy, but their whole statement is, we want to make more profit so that we can take that money and use it to expand the kingdom of God. That is, that is a part of their business model. And they are hugely successful why, why be successful? Why have more? So we can have a greater impact. That's, that's their whole mindset. There is something about adjusting your focus, whether it's in business or in life or in your home or you're just your personal life, to a place where you say, what is the kingdom of God about? And how can I join God in the things that he would say are a priority for my life? Rather than me looking at my life saying, these are my priorities, and somehow God's got to fit his way into what my priorities are. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added. Why? Because God knows when, when his kingdom is your priority, whatever he blesses you with will be sown right back into the kingdom. That it will bring glory to him, honor to him. So what does God's kingdom look like in someone? If I pray that prayer, God, your kingdom come in my life. God, your kingdom be established in my life. What does someone look like if the kingdom of God is a reality and a part of who they are? It's going to look like this. It's going to look like confidence. That the kingdom of God brings confidence into the life of a believer. It's going to look like security. When I have a healthy understanding of what the kingdom of God is, I'm not going to be easily shaken. 
even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of struggles. It's going to look like peace. That I will have a peace that passes all understanding because of my understanding of the kingdom of God. It's going to look like faith, like joy. It's going to look like love, agape love, not conditional love. It's going to look like freedom. You ever met someone who, they're just... I mean, they're just free. You can just tell they're walking in freedom. They're think, there's nothing like just hanging on them, right? Nothing spiritually, nothing. They're just free, and they're just alive, and you're just looking at them going, that's awesome. What is it about your life? It's Jesus Christ. There's an understanding of what God's kingdom is that has brought a freedom in their life. It looks like authenticity, and it looks like humility. These are the things, a short list of things that God's kingdom looks like in someone's life. How does king, what does God's kingdom look like through someone? See, because God's kingdom isn't just meant to be in you. It's supposed to move through you. It looks like this. It looks like ministry. It looks like ministry happening everywhere you go. That you're looking for opportunities to minister the love of Jesus Christ to everyone and anyone. That's what the kingdom of God looks like through someone. It looks like authority. Someone who knows who they are in Christ and can stand in the authority that they have. It looks like influence. God's kingdom moving through someone brings influence. It looks like the power of God. It looks like prophetic speech, not empty words, words that always Bring people back to Jesus. Can I just tell you, that's what prophetic speech is. Prophetic speech is simply words that we speak that point people back to to who God is. It's about making God big. That's what prophecy is. Getting people to look and see Jesus Christ. It looks like prophetic speech. It looks like something that would empower others. The kingdom of God moving moving through us would empower others that it would speak power into the lives of others. Let me ask you this. What does God's kingdom look like in community? What does God's kingdom look like in new community? It looks like this. It looks like healthy relationships. It looks like honor. It looks like respect for authority. It looks like gracious hearts. It looks like acceptance. It looks like friendliness. God's God's kingdom is friendly. And I've met believers in my life that you would think exact opposite. Like you're like, I would not want anything to do with the kingdom of God if you're the face of the kingdom. God's kingdom is friendly. That in community, that there is a friendliness, there is a fellowship that takes place because of the kingdom of God. It looks like hospitality. It looks like order. It looks like service, putting others first. Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve. The king of the kingdom came to serve, not to be served. And we should do no less. That it looks like service. It looks like authenticity. No fake here. No fake in the kingdom. A real deal. 
what you see is what you get. That who I am on Sunday morning and who you are on a Sunday morning is the same person that you would encounter on the street on Wednesday afternoon. The kingdom of God in a community looks like authenticity. That it's real. So we're in February. It's, it's, it's still kind of the new year. I don't know about you, but every year there's the resolutions, right? You get into the new year. This is probably the latest New Year's res- resolution ser- service. No, I'm just kidding. Every year, okay, this year, this year I'm going to do some things to make my life better. To, to, I want to get to the end of 2015 and not be, I want some things to change in my life. I want these things to be different. I want Barry to look different by the end of 2015. And a lot of the time, that's literally what I mean. Like, I want to look different by the end of the year. Don't always... Thank you. (laughs) Was that for you or for me? We set goals. We pause at the beginning of the year. We reflect on the last year. Anyone ever just look back on the last year and go, man, there are some things I just nailed right? And then there are things that I I was just missed opportunities or lessons that I didn't learn. Anyone else? You just kind of go, oh, sometimes there's, there's joy and sometimes there's regret. And so you start out a new year going, I'm going to set some resolutions. I'm going to, I'm going to make some goals about what this next year could be, what I could be in this next year. By this time next year, I want these things to be going on in my life. I want my budget to look like this, my bank account to look like this, my body to look like this, my relationships to look like this. And we set all of these goals. Most of them are unattainable or are not realistic, if we're quite honest, which is why by February, most of us are like, okay, I'm done. I'm done. I love uh, the comedian Jim Gaffigan who talks about going to the gym. And he's like, the gym is across the street from my house. It's open 24 hours a day. I've had a membership for like 10 years, and I've been once. Right? Because we're like, yeah, come on. He's like, you go the first day, and and you're like, yeah, okay, I'm going to work out. And there's the guy showing you all the machines and stuff. And you're like, right on. And so you get your first workout. The next day, you're you're like, I'm going to go to the gym every day. And then the next day, you're like, well, i got to let my muscles rest, you know, and I'm like, by the third day, he's all, I'm fine with the way I look, right? And it, and it just, whoosh, just degrades. We set these goals for, each, for ourselves. And again, don't hear me wrong. Setting goals is not a bad thing. But I think sometimes we set goals that are just self-serving and not kingdom-minded, and then we get frustrated because we don't achieve those things or attain those things. Or, or, or maybe it's not even a goal. Maybe there's things in your life that you're just tired of having as a part of your life. And every year, every year you're thinking, this is the year. This will be the year that I'm done with that. And you get to the end of the year and like, oh, still here. Come on. Opportunities to grow and be stretched in our faith and in our relationships. Things that we go, I could really do without that or this. I'm going to tell you something this morning. God has a New Year's resolution for your life. God has plans. God has ideas of what he wants to do in your life that are so much greater, so far above the things that we can come up with on our own. And it's a resolution that we have to understand And this is really the the, the beginning point of what this series will be. 
It's this idea that God has one thing that he is, has in mind for you, and we have to capture what it is. Because if we don't, we're going to keep going around the same mountain. We're going to keep having to relearn the same lessons. And you guys are going, what is it? I'm getting there. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29. You can flip there. We're going to spend the rest of our time in Romans chapter 8. Starting in verse 28, it says this, And we know that all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Say, that's me. Like, say it like you own it. That's me. You've been called according to God's purpose. You have. We, we, we've talked about that for the last three weeks, that God has a plan for your life. That your story started when God said, in the, when, when the Bible says in the beginning, that your story started there. In fact, it started before there. Because God said, I know who you are and I know the plans. And before I knit you together in your mother's womb, I had this plan for your life. Okay, so, so God has a plan. He has called you according to his purpose. But then listen to what he says next. For those who God foreknew, he also be predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. To be conformed to the image of his son. This is God's resolution for you, that by the end of 2015, you would look more like Jesus Christ. That you would be more conformed and transformed and look more like Jesus by the end of this year. Now, can we look, can we be Jesus by the end of the year? No, not likely. Because we're in process. But I want to make sure that in my life, one year from now, I can look, look back and go, you know what? I've been conformed more into the image of Jesus Christ. That is kingdom first thinking. That my life would be hidden in him. My life would represent Jesus well. That my life would be an accurate representation to other people of who Jesus is and the way that he functions. Why? Because he is the king of the kingdom. And if I want the kingdom to be present in my life, I better know the king. And I better start acting like the king and behaving like the king and thinking like the king and putting king, kingdom priorities and the, the priorities that the king would have, making those the priorities of my life. I think, I think for, for those who've known the Lord for a while, this, this passage in Romans 8.28, it's either a, a, a passage of victory for you. You're like, yes, Romans 8.28, all things work together. Or it's become that verse that you love to hate. When you're having a hard time, man, I'm just struggling, and, and someone comes up and goes, well, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good, and you just want to, right? A word out of season, or it's just kind of a drive-by, hey, here's Romans eight twenty eight for you. But the reality is, is that God's not lying here. All things work together for the good. All things, God works for the good in our lives. Why? Because he's committed to this process of transformation from us going from who we are to looking more like Jesus. And that means that he will use every circumstance and every situation of our lives to bring that about. All things. And, and that doesn't always sit well. 
does it? Not some things, not just the things that are comfortable or easy. Oh, really, Lord? Yes, all things, because nothing's lost to him. Not just the things that I can do on my own. Why? Because then he gets the glory. All things, the good, the bad, the ugly, the difficult, the things that you would just rather not walk through, the things that seem impossible, even the things when it seems like, where's God in the midst of this? Or the question comes up, does God really love me because of what I'm walking through? And God says, all things God works together for the good because he does love you. And he is not content with letting you stay the way you are. And so he will redeem the stuff, the junk, the garbage, the difficulties of our lives. He will redeem them in order to, 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 to use them to form us into the image of his son, to conform us to the image of his son. The picture here is not of Play-Doh being pressed into a mold. It, the picture here is like the furnace and the crucible, the blacksmith with the fire and, and the hammer. And sometimes there's the smooth shaping, and sometimes there's things that are just getting pounded out of us. Can I get an amen? There's times where you're just feeling like, I am, I am getting pounded. And God's going, but I'm in the midst of it. Don't despise the things that bring you closer to God. I'm going to say that again. Don't despise the things that bring you closer to God or transform you or conform you more to the image of Jesus. And sometimes we want to push away the things that are, aren't easy and uncomfortable because they hurt. And God's going, no, I, I, I'm doing something in you here so that you can be more like my son. This is a part of my resolution for your life. Yeah, but God, I'd rather not. And he goes, fine, if you, if you ignore it, if you walk away from it, it's going to come up again in another place. Because I'm not going to let you move beyond this until you get this. It's like in school, right? Or like it used to be in school. You couldn't move to algebra or beyond algebra until you'd mastered algebra. Because you can't build on, the, on a foundation that doesn't exist. And so you have, to, you have to keep moving through the process. I, I, I learned my, my arithmetic, I learned my, my addition, and my subtraction, and my multiplication and division and all of that so I can then move up to pre-algebra and then to algebra and then to trig and geometry and whatever else you need to do. Why? Because it builds on each other. God's not going to circumvent things in our lives just to move us through a process if he knows, if we, he says if you skip this, you don't learn this lesson, it's going to affect you down the road. And he loves us too much to let that happen. And that's hard. That can be hard because you feel like, okay, Lord, well, ah. but I tell you, the Christian walk is not one of ease. It's work. I'd heard this said, I'm trying to remember who actually said it, but it was, it's a great statement. If I remember who it was, I'll, I'll give them credit. I didn't come up with this. That's what I'm saying. But if it were meant to be comfortable, we wouldn't need a comforter. Francis Chan. That's who it was. Thank you. Sounds like him, doesn't he? If we were meant to be comfortable, we wouldn't need a comforter. 
But we've been given the Holy Spirit who is our comforter. Why? Because we're going to walk through stuff that's not comfortable. Don't believe me? Read the New Testament. Not comfortable. Even Jesus, Son of Man, has no place to lay his head. Boxes have holes in the ground. Jesus didn't even have a home. Our king was homeless. And yet so often we're looking to surround our lives with comfort. That becomes our focus for, and our priority is, I just need to be comfortable and then I can serve Jesus. And Jesus is going, just serve me and all of these things will be added. And you'll be comfortable no, no matter where you are. You'll be comfortable no matter what the circumstance because my comforter will be with you and I will be doing something in you. We are being conformed. That's the point of all things because it does a work in us that makes us look more like Jesus Christ. We are being conformed into the image of his son. So God is not content with letting you just stay the way that you are. We're born into sin. We just are. Thanks to Adam and Eve and the the disobedience in the garden, sin enters the world. We are born into sin. We are born flawed. God's saying, you know what? I want to restore you to the likeness. We are created in the image of God, that we bear his stamp. But there is a work that has to take place, a transforming work that has to take place. See, the point of Jesus dying on the cross wasn't simply salvation. That God's goal is transformation. That he wants to conform us back to what we originally intended to be. To look like him. To look like Jesus Christ. So that brings up another question. What does Jesus look like? If I'm supposed to look like Jesus, if I'm supposed to be conformed to his image... I have to ask the question, what does Jesus look like? Because if I don't know what he looks like, I don't know what I'm comparing. I can't look and go, okay, wow, there's some things I need to work on because that's who Jesus is and this is who I am. And man, those things do not match. And he doesn't change ever, I know, because Hebrews tells me that. So I'm the one who needs to change. If I don't know what Jesus looks like, well, I'm dead at the starting line. There's no traction. There's no trajectory. What if we could be more like Jesus in our relationship with our Heavenly Father? What if? Let's just dream for a second. What if we could be more like Jesus in our relationship with the Heavenly Father? Well, what I know of Jesus is this. We would hear his voice. If I was more like Jesus, I would hear the voice of the Father. Not sometimes. All the time. Not only would I hear it, I would recognize it. Sometimes you're just going, was that the Lord? I don't think Jesus had that problem. Was that my father? No, because he knows the father's voice. If we were more like Jesus, we would hear the voice of God. We would know his will in all circumstances. Doesn't that sound great? That if we were more like Jesus in our relationship with the Father, we would know God's will. It wouldn't be like, oh, I'm not sure. I don't know. That there would just be a certainty about this is what God's calling me to. And we could walk it out. 
we would be able to identify immediately the places where God was working around us. That it wouldn't be up for grabs, it wouldn't be a question. and say, my father is working there. My father is doing that. My father, my father, my father, my father. And we would be able to see it clearly. We would know with certainty how much the father loves us. There was never doubt for Jesus that God loved him. Never a doubt. And yet that's a place where the enemy messes with us. That he calls into question, does God really? Does God really care about you? Does God really love you? If if we're conformed into the image of Jesus, there would be no doubt that our Father loved us. What if we could be more like Jesus in our knowledge of the Scripture? Well, we could boldly declare the, the promises of God. Like boldly declare the promises of God over and over and over. Jesus quoted scripture. He, it is written, it is written, it is written. He knew God's word. And he was able to declare it boldly. If we were conformed more to the image of Jesus in relation to our knowledge of scripture, we would know the word. And we could declare it boldly. We could rebuke every lying thought of Satan. Because we would know that they were a lie. We correct every errant idea about God's character and purpose. See, because if I'm being conformed more to the image of Jesus, who was truth, then I will know truth. This is what God's plan is, that we be more like Jesus so that we can have all of these things. Doesn't it sound good? Like four of you are like, yeah. Some of you are wondering. This is good. This is good. Let me just help you out. This is good. These are the things that God has for us. What if we could be more like Jesus in our relationship with other believers? What if we could be more like Jesus in our relationship with other believers? We could show gentle patience with those who are confused and realize not everyone knows what I know, and that's okay. And there's a lot of people who know a lot more than I do, and I'd hope that they're okay with me. Sometimes we're so impatient with each other inside the church that the people on the outside are going, wow, that's kind of harsh. And we get hung up on things and points and, and details that God's going, wait a minute, I never asked you to argue about those things. And we miss the love of God in the midst of it. If we could look more like Jesus in our relationships with others, we would show a lot more gentleness and patience. We would forgive those who offend and betray us. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but my guess is if I'd ask you to raise your hand, and probably most of us in this place could say, yes, there's been someone in my life, a, a, a fellow brother or sister in the Lord, who's hurt me or be- betrayed me that I am no longer in relationship with. Can I just tell you that's not a part of God's kingdom That's not a part of his purpose and his plan for us. That's not how Jesus functions. And if we can look more like Jesus in in our relationships with other believers, 
that we would be more committed to righting wrongs, reconnecting, reestablishing relationship, being reconciled with one another just as Jesus has been reconciled with us. That's what that would look like in the church amongst believers. We could look more like Jesus in our relationship with other believers. We could encourage them to be their best for God. That we could speak life, speak life, speak life, speak life, because that's all Jesus did. That he spoke life, that he spoke life. He's, that's, that's what he was all about. And sometimes we miss that. Why? Because we're not there yet. And this message is not designed to just beat you up. I hope you're not feeling beat up. I hope you feel a little uncomfortable, because I do. Because I'm preaching this, and I'm like, oh, man. But it just makes me want to be more like Jesus. Because I recognize that some of these things aren't a part of my life. And I want them to be. And I can't muster it up. All I can do is say, Jesus, I want to be more like you. God, use the things in my life to conform me to the image of your son so I can walk like he did, so I can love like he did, so I can encourage like he did, so I can speak life like he did. What if we could be more like Jesus in our relationships with those who don't believe in Jesus? We could love the lost and bring them close. And not be weirded out or freaked out or hope, oh, I hope they don't get their sin on me. Because that's just weird. You know, a few years back, I remember when I was youth pastoring, they came out with the bracelets, the WWJD, which is a great idea. But I'm pretty sure Jesus wouldn't wear a WWJD bracelet. He'd just go do it. Right? And wearing a bracelet, it's a great reminder. Again, that's, it's, it, was, it was a great idea, and it really made people think. But at the end of the day, we'd have to ask ourselves, where would Jesus be? Where would he be hanging out? What people would he be building relationship with? It probably wouldn't be here. Because he's like, well, they already know me. I'll go to find the ones that don't know me yet. If we're being conformed to the image of Jesus, we will have a passion for the lost. Because he does. And that we will willingly, eagerly, Build friendships and relationships with people that don't know Jesus and bring them close, not close to the church or try and bring them closer to Jesus. Bring them close to us. To have real relationships with people who need to know Jesus. And then we get to show them this is who Jesus is. Again, not in a preachy, weird way. It's a part of that story that I was sharing about. Just, just be you. Be who God's called you to be. And let that be the impact, the thing that speaks. It would allow you to share the truth without condemnation. I got to, to be at Camp Cedarcrest yesterday. Um, I, I was asked to do a breakout session for junior high boys. And, uh, and I was speaking about friendship. And, then we, and, and, and I was just telling these guys, like, you, you need men in your life, friends, younger, older, same age, 
that will speak truth, that will call you on your stuff. I showed him some pictures, four, four of my buddies, four of the guys in my life that I, I know will not just tell me what I want to hear. Who will be like, Barry, you're being an idiot. They will. They'll just say, dude, come on. And we got to do a, a panel discussion, and, and the question came up, um, is it okay for a Christian guy to date a non-Christian girl? And so there's three of us on the panel, and, and we sat there for a second, and then just went, no. Now I know there's a bunch of boys in that audience who are going, oh, that's not what I wanted to hear. That's okay, because I'm going to speak truth. Because the Bible says, don't be unequally yoked. So no, Jesus isn't okay with that. He's just not. And the problem is, is that when we, we were not allowing ourselves to be conformed to the image of Jesus, that we, stop, st- we start forgetting that we're supposed to speak the truth in a way that brings life, not condemnation. Jesus with the woman at the well. That he spoke truth in a way that, that caused her to run back to town and go, this guy just saved my life. Not this guy just aired my dirty laundry. And that we can do that. We can be that in the world if we're being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We can be kind to those who hate us and forgive those who hurt us. I tell you what, one of the things I'm seeing more and more on Facebook, which makes me like it less and less and less, is Christians posting things and articles railing about how much the world hates the church. We know. We don't need Facebook. The Bible tells us that the world hates us. Like, we get it. What he does tell us is, love the people that hate you. We don't get that well. If we were being conformed into the image of Jesus... If I was allowing my life to be conformed, I would, my prayer would be, Lord, by the end of this year, could I look like Jesus so much more that I don't resist those who don't like me and steer clear of those who, who have a problem with my faith? Give me a boldness that comes from knowing you. We have a tendency to make being transformed into the character and the likeness of Jesus Christ, less of a priority in our lives than what it should be. We think that it's optional. I'm in the club, but that's it. And if you, you go, I was, we were driving by a golf course this morning, and I was thinking, I need, to, I need to grab my clubs and go play again. It's been a long time. And I don't play golf. I, don't, I wouldn't classify it as that. But I enjoy But I remember the first time I went to, like, a nice golf course in and I, I wore, like, the best outfit I thought I had for, to fit the occasion. But you walk into a nice golf club. Not a golf club, but a golf club. Um, sorry, the punter in me just. And you recognize there's a dress code, and you have to dress a certain way. And you, no jeans, no cutoffs, no, some places, no shorts. And it's gotta, you've got to look the part. And you could have a membership, and there's still, you, could, you could be a part of the most exclusive club but they're still going to require that you dress a certain way. In fact, the more money you pay, the more they're going to require. Am I right? 
And somehow we feel like we come to this relationship with Jesus and then it's like cruise control, I'm good to go. And he's like, no, transformation isn't optional. Not only is it not optional, it is in fact the point of our faith. This is what we are about. We are about being transformed. That's why we're called Christians. That's, it's, it's in the very name that we are supposed to be being transformed. We can look at our character, our behaviors, our treatment of others, selfish desires, tendencies towards sin, and recognize that we deal, we're a great deal away. We're far away from where we're supposed to be, rather where God intends us to be. And here's the thing, you don't need an appointment with the pastor to help you understand that. That every one of us could examine our own lives and go, yep, not Jesus, nope, that's not Christ-like, right? Which means we've got work to do. Sometimes we have good intentions for real change. I've been losing 20 pounds for 20 years. I, I have. When I, when I set the goal, I mean, I mean it. I, I want to lose weight. But I don't. Because things get in the way, like food. Um, <laughs> and because I make choices that gratify the flesh and not the spirit. The Bible says, don't live for the flesh, live for the spirit. Don't live to gratify in those things. And so we can set these goals. I want to look more like Jesus, but I still want to gossip. And Jesus says, well, no, it's not going to happen. So start, stop gratifying the desires of the flesh and start putting on the spirit and start allowing God to transform you. Romans chapter 8 keeps going, says in verse 7, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I mean, conqueror sounds like that's good enough, right? You're a conqueror. You have conquered. Napoleon Bonaparte, you have conquered a little bit. Um, Attila, I mean, these people who conquered, the Roman Empire conquered. And God says, no, 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 you're not just a conqueror. You're more than a conqueror. I don't even know what that means. But it's, it's awesome. You are more than a conqueror. Why? Because this is the path that God has for you, and he's going to give you what you need to get there. He doesn't set us on our way and go, hey, good luck storming the castle. Let me know how it goes. Send me a postcard. That he is with us walking and saying, come on, you can do it. You can do it. Yeah, but Lord, this is hard. That's okay. You can do it. The Holy Spirit is there going, you can do this, but I don't want to. Okay, I get that, but come on, let's go. Press through it. And allow God to bring the transformation. So this morning is an invitation. It's an invitation. I'm inviting you to join me in a series of messages. In fact, there's, there's a few message series that we will go through starting today that will actually take us through the end of this year. Every one of them designed 
to help us walk a pathway of transformation so that we can get to the end of this year and say, you know what, we look more like Jesus as individuals, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our families, and in our church, that we look more like Jesus. And I'm inviting you to join me on this journey. There might be things that you learn that you're like, I already knew that. Praise the Lord. Let it just reinforce. And there may be things that you go, I never thought of that before. And I pray that the Lord would unlock his word in your heart in that way so that you can be conformed to the image of Jesus. I want to finish with this verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is spirit. Would you stand with me? I want to be transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. I want more. I want more Jesus. I don't want just more Jesus in my life. I just want to be more like Jesus. I want to look more like Jesus. My prayer for you is that you would look more like Jesus. My prayer for this church is that we would be more like Jesus as the body of Christ. That's who we are. That's who we've been called to be. We've all got stuff. We just do. If you're wondering about the person next to you, they've got stuff. They just do. I'm going to look at someone and say, hey, I know you got stuff. Right? We've got things in our life that don't belong there. And God's saying, hey, I want to get that stuff out. And I want you to look more like Jesus. So, Father, we invite you to have your way. Lord, I know already this morning my heart is stirred by the things that you're speaking. And I pray, Lord, that across this place, that hearts and minds are being just being pricked by your Holy Spirit. Lord, that there would just be an unsettledness in us. Lord, that we would not settle with just staying the way that we are. Setting our focus on priorities that are not your priorities. Lord, we recognize that we are a part of an awesome kingdom and that you are the king. And Lord, that you're not just calling us to be citizens of that kingdom, but Lord, that we are joint heirs of that kingdom. And Lord, I pray that you would transform us from glory to glory, that you would cause us, Lord, to become more like your son this year, this week, this afternoon, in the next five minutes. Lord, do what you need to do in us. Thank you, God, that you're committed to us. Thank you, Lord, that you're so committed. Lord, you're more committed to us than even we are to ourselves sometimes. Most of the time. Thank you, Lord, that you don't call us to walk this alone, that you've given us your Holy Spirit. You've given us fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. You've given us the church to stand with us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do this work in us. Lord, New Community Church in Glendora, California, Lord, we say, come and have your way. Make us look more like Jesus. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. This morning, if you have any need for prayer, for anything, 
you want to agree with our prayer team, they'll be available. They'll pray with you. They'll pray over you for healing, for finances. If something even this morning in the message has touched your heart and you're like, I just need to pray with someone or, or, or get something off my chest, they'd love, to, they'd love to pray with you. Otherwise, have an amazing day. Say hi to someone. Invite someone to lunch. Be blessed as you go. We look forward to seeing you next week. God bless.